Uh, as Bo and Matt both mentioned, today is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost, one of the most overlooked days on the church calendar. You've got Christmas. We celebrate the incarnation, the Son of God becoming a man, Jesus. We've got Easter celebrating Jesus' resurrection. And then Pentecost is just as important as those other two days. It's celebrating the, the fact, the day that the Father poured the Spirit out on all of Jesus' followers. It's the birthday of the church. But again, easy to overlook. It's 50 days after Easter, so it always is going to fall into school, beginning of summer. It hasn't been commercialized yet. Lots of reasons why Pentecost is overlooked, and we want to take, a, take the day to look at what it means for the Holy Spirit to be given to the people of God. Old Testament roots, Pentecost is the first day of the, it's called the Festival of Weeks. It's one of the, sec, it's the second major uh, religious festival where all of the, the Jews would gather in Jerusalem to worship and sacrifice. They took a week uh, to do that, celebrating the uh, grain harvest, and also it became, it it uh, began to be associated with the giving of the law, God giving Moses the tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments on it, and that'll be important for us today. New Testament, Acts chapter 2, the first Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection. You've got 120 of Jesus' disciples. They're in Jerusalem because Jesus has told them to be in Jerusalem and to wait for the gift of the Father. And so they're just in Jerusalem waiting then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes on all of these 120 men and women, young and old, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the two major things that we tend to talk about when we talk about the Holy Spirit's work in our life, one is He empowers us for service or for ministry. We talk about, uh, kind of in our language, doing your deal or your assignment from God. The Holy Spirit's the one that empowers us to do that. And we see that on that first Pentecost Day, the disciples are empowered to spread the gospel. Prior to that, they were deserters, they were deniers, they were fearful. They were actually behind a locked door on the day of Pentecost. But after they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they're bold and they're courageous. And they shared the good news of who Jesus is, regardless of threat or intimidation. They're emboldened, empowered, anointed, whatever word you want to use, uh, to do this work that God has given to them. Same thing is true for us. The Holy Spirit's the one that empowers us, enables us, anoints us to do the, the, the work that he's called us to do. It, it, you think about the, the Great Commission, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. The Holy Spirit's the one who empowers us, to act, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of all the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion, and beside him on his right stood some guys that we don't know. Ezra opened the book. All the people, all the people could see him because he was standing above them, and he opened the book, and the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. 
This day is holy to our Lord. Don't grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Don't grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, that's the next day, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs and their courtyards and the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and the square by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and they lived in them. From the days of Joshua the son of Nun until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this and their joy was very great. Day after day from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days. On the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So not the most exciting chapter that we've seen. What's going on? So the people have gathered together to hear Ezra, the high priest, read the law. And the impression we get from Nehemiah 8 is they, they hadn't heard it in a long time. And for some of them, maybe most of them, They'd never heard the law. It's a pretty, to me, it's a pretty sad situation. You have the people of God who have been uh, returned to their land. They've rebuilt the temple, been working on the walls, and they, they, don't, know the, they don't know the law. They don't know the word of God to them. So Ezra has called everybody together. Nehemiah has called everybody together. They're reading the law. Ezra's up on a platform like this, and Spends all morning reading the law to people. And you've got these Levites. And in my mind, Ezra's reading a section. And then the Levites are going out among the crowd to make sure everybody gets it. Y'all understand? Do you know what's just been said? Do you know what that means? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Ezra reads the next section and the next section and the next section. And it's supposed to be a day of joy. They have the law. And they, apparently they haven't had the law before. Something that maybe has, for whatever reason, has been lost or been forgotten. Remember, Ezra's a priest, and he was sent to reform the people spiritually. We, we talked about that when we looked at Ezra. And so maybe what's, what's going on is you've got decades, maybe even a generation or two that wasn't aware of the law. Now Ezra's reading it. It should be a time of great joy for them. But as the people are hearing it, they're getting really upset. And they're starting to weep, and they're starting to mourn. And Ezra and Nehemiah are going, time out, that's, that's not what we're doing here. This is supposed to be a day of joy. And the people are getting more and more upset. And so Nehemiah and Ezra say, listen, don't grieve, don't, don't mourn. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That word strength is protection. The joy of the Lord is your protection. What are they need protecting from? I think as they're hearing the law, they're realizing how fall, excuse me, how far short they fall. They haven't been doing the things that the law says they should do. And that's upsetting to them. And then there are consequences for disobedience that are listed in the law. They find them in Exodus. You can find them in Deuteronomy, particularly. And they're realizing we've come up short and is all that stuff going to happen to us? And they're getting more upset. And Ezra and Nehemiah say that's, that's not for today. Today, the joy of the Lord, the delight that the Lord takes in you as his people, that is your protection. 
That protects you from the consequences of your disobedience. That protects you from falling short. Today is a day to celebrate. It's not a day to grieve and to mourn. And when they're reassured, the people are like, okay, all right. If you say so, then yes. And they, then they're able to celebrate and enjoy this feast. And the next day, the leaders are having a Bible study with Ezra. And they realize, hey, in a couple of weeks, there's supposed to be a big festival. We haven't been doing that big festival, the festival of tabernacles. We haven't been doing that. So let's, let's do that. It's coming up in a couple of weeks. And according to the law, we're all supposed to build a little temporary shelter out of branches as a way of identifying with our ancestors who had to live in temporary shelters during their 40 years in the wilderness. And so we're going to do that. And according to Nehemiah, that hadn't been done in a really long time since Joshua, that people hadn't been building those temporary shelters. And so the people do that in obedience to the law. So chapter eight to me, again, there's this thread that runs through that's, it's, it's sad. I don't know, pathetic doesn't sound like the right word. It's sad to me, maybe even tragic that you have the people of God not knowing the word of God. And then when they hear it, their initial response is, oh, oh no, we're in trouble. And then they're reassured and they are able to respond with joy once they understand what the word means to them and they obey moving forward. What does any of that have to do with Pentecost? We said one of the things that was celebrated on Pentecost in the Old Testament was the giving of the law. When God gave Moses those tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments etched in them. And in Jeremiah 33, God is looking forward to the sending of his son and he says, this, what we're doing right now, it's not working the law is external. It is written on these tablets of stone. And even when the people try really hard, they can't obey it for long. It's just a matter of time before they either forget it, like we see in Nehemiah 8, or they just can't, they can't or won't obey it. And so looking forward, I'm going to create a new covenant. And I'm going to put my law in their minds. And I'm going to write it on their hearts. It's going to be internalized. It's no longer going to be external to them. It's the third major way the Holy Spirit works in our life. Yes, he empowers us for service. Yes, he forms within us the character of Jesus. He also guides us into the truth. On his last night during his farewell address to his disciples, his final marching orders, Jesus says, when I leave, I'm going to send you someone else, another helper or an advocate. That's one who comes along beside you, but he's not just going to come along beside you. He's actually going to live within you. And he's going to do three things. He's going to teach you everything. He's going to remind you of the words that I've taught you. And he's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to teach you all things. He's going to remind you of the words that I've taught you. And he's going to guide you into all truth. You see how that connects to this whole idea of giving the law. When we hear the word law, it's negative in our mind, it's heavy, it's burdensome, it's restrictive. Think of law as covenantal responsibilities. Think of law in terms of relationship. A great example is marriage vows. The marriage vows are the law of marriage. These are the stipulations covenantally. This is what we are agreeing to. It's, it's what defines this relationship, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, and forsaking all others, we be faithful to you as long as we both shall live. That's the law of marriage. If you're going to be married, that's what you're embracing. 
Those are the covenantal responsibilities. You're saying, this is what I'm committing myself to. And your spouse is saying, this is what I'm committing myself to. With all of us who have said those words in front of a, our family and friends, none of us at the time thought, well, this is a burdensome, legalistic, overly, we were glad, thrilled to say those words because of what it meant for us relationally with the person we were saying them to. Think about the law in, the, in, those same, in that same vein. These are the covenantal requirements or, or responsibilities is a better word. This is what it means to be a son or a daughter of God. In the Old Testament, there's 613 of them. Here all the, here's all that it means to be a part of Israel, the people of God. In the New Testament, 613 has been reduced to two. Love God and love people. Those are your covenantal responsibilities as a son or daughter of God. God has said, here's what I'm doing for you. I'm sending my son. He's gonna, his, his life, his death, his resurrection is going to pay the penalty for your sins so that you can be adopted into my family. I'm going to come and take up residence in you by my spirit. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to love me and you're going to love people. That's the law. Those are our covenantal responsibilities. The Holy Spirit helps us remember those. And you may say, I got it. Four words. I don't need any help. Love God, love people. Locked in. But the issue for us is less what's locked in our brain and more what's locked in our hearts. That's where we get tripped up, I think. We forget the law, love God and love people. Even if we have it here, we can write it down. A lot of times we lose it here. Again, thinking about these people in Nehemiah, is it that they'd never heard the law? Maybe they'd never heard it. But even if you look back at their ancestors who knew the law, they weren't able to obey it. So God says, here's a better way. I'm not just going to write the law on your heart. I'm actually going to give the lawgiver to you, and he's going to live within your heart as well. A couple of ways that we forget. The devil, his primary weapon against us is deception. We talked about this several times over the last month, so I'm going to move ahead. Just recognize that. One of the things that makes it difficult for us to remember the law when it comes to how we're living, not just in our minds, love God, love people, but actually living out, loving God and loving people is the devil deceives us regarding what love actually looks like. The world, this one is huge for us. The world drowns out those four little words. Difficult to put your finger on how much information we consume on a given day. I've seen People say it's five to six hours excluding work, 11 to 12 including work, that we're plugged in in some way, that we're inputting, consuming information. There was a study done in 2009. It was a pretty definitive study. It's an eternity in digital world 12 years ago, but that the average American consumes 100,000 words a day, whether that's through print, digital, or video. 100,000 words. The longest gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the longest one is Luke. It's about 25,000 words. So let's say you decide that you want to be immersed in the character of Jesus and the, the work of Jesus, the words of Jesus every day. You're going 
you're going to marinate in that before you begin your day. And so you read all 25,000 words of the Gospel of Luke every day. On a regular day, you're then going to go out and consume three times as many other words. It almost feels like a lost cause. What are we supposed to do? Move to a monastery, a cave, shut off the internet? Like, what are we supposed to do when the, the volume of what's coming at us is so great? There probably are some things that we can do in terms of having better controls on what we do bring in. But I think first step for us is acknowledging. It's, it's easy for us to forget, love God, love people when so much of what comes at us is different. And it's not even that it's all bad, it's just not that. <clears throat> Opinions, perspective, facts, music, videos, images. Again, it's not that they're all wicked. They're just not reinforcing loving God and loving people. And those, that law is easily drowned out in the world that we live in. And then we have our own flesh. Our flesh resists that law. We don't want to do it. Love, by definition, is self-sacrificial. You don't have to try to love God and love people for long before you realize in order to love you, that means I don't always get what I want. I have to be willing to give up my rights, my freedoms, my wants, some convenience. And you're probably not even going to notice and say thank you. And I don't like that. If I'm going to love God and love people, I've got to be willing to die, which is what Jesus said. And our flesh rebels against that notion. The devil, the world, the flesh, they all are conspiring to make us forget. If not here, that doesn't matter. Forget here. You can know whatever you know. As long as you don't live it out, it doesn't matter. And the devil and your flesh and the world are conspiring to keep you and me from forgetting to love God and love people as we live our lives day in and day out. I think about the Pharisees. They're easy to demonize. But they were, the, they were top shelf of their day. They were the most righteous, the most holy people that around. They had most of the Old Testament memorized. They certainly had all of the law memorized. And yet, they, they completely missed Jesus. He actually says about them in John 5, you're searching the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. You don't realize that the scriptures actually are pointing to me. I'm the fulfillment of all the hopes, of all the promises. I'm the fulfillment of the law. You can't see it. The devil, their flesh, their world, conspiring to keep them from remembering or to cause them to forget what God had said to them. And the same thing happens to us. And so what God has done is, again, he hasn't just written the law in our minds and on our hearts. He's given us the lawgiver to live within us. And the Holy Spirit helps us in a couple of ways. Those three points, he teaches us all things. He reminds us of what Jesus has taught us. He guides us into all truth. You, we, we need to be people of the word. And we want to recognize that all of these, Jesus is the eternal word. So all of this, this is all the word of God. Jesus speaks through all the pages, not just through what's in red. 
in your Bible in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He speaks through all the pages because he's the Word, capital W. But what we want to make sure is that when we're reading this book, that we're reading it under the mentorship, tutelage of the Holy Spirit, we're asking him, enlighten my heart. Show me the truth in this passage. And the thing to me that's most helpful as you do that is to go in already submitted. To go in saying, whatever truth there is in this passage, God, I don't know what that is yet, but I'll say yes. I'm going to trust you as a good father who only does what's good and right. I'm going to submit whatever the truth is, whether I like it or not. I'm saying yes going in. It'll change the way you read the Bible if you go in humbly submitted to the truth versus fighting it, trying to figure, trying to look for a way to justify your own thoughts or behavior, but willingly submitting to the truth. The Holy Spirit will do that. He'll remind you of the words of Jesus that are written all throughout this book as you read it. And we do need to read it. But we need, we need to read it under his lordship. Holy Spirit, enlighten me as I read this. And then I think for all of us... We need to acknowledge, as much as we wish the world was black and white, it's not. There's a lot of gray. There's a lot of ambiguity. There's a lot of things that aren't in this book, clearly. They're not explicitly spelled out. And again, that's why God in his wisdom has given the Holy Spirit to us. Yes, he's given us this book that we can read, and he's also given us the author of the book to live within us, to help us understand it. And to apply it in 2021 in Marietta, Georgia. And a lot of the, a lot of the questions that you're having, and a lot of the issues that you're facing, they're not, there's not necessarily chapter and verse that deals with it directly. The Holy Spirit will guide you through the truth of that ambiguity if you'll, if you'll let him. He guides us into all truth. Again, if, if we're willing to submit on the front end, Holy Spirit, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'm just not sure where that is right now. What does it look like for me to love you and to love other people in the middle of a pandemic? Honestly, we didn't do great at times. The church didn't with that. There were times where we were some of the worst when it came to loving other people. What does it look like for us to love God and love people in the midst of racial tension and unrest, in the midst of injustice. And that was another area that was difficult for some of us. What does it look like for us to love you and love others in the midst of an economic crash or a boom time? What does that look like? We need to be asking the Holy Spirit, recognizing again that the devil wants to deceive us. The world is going to inundate us with information and particularly that our flesh is going to rebel, is going to resist the reality of what love looks like because it looks like crucifying yourself, and nobody enjoys that. The Holy Spirit, he does conform us into the image of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, he does empower us to, for obedience, to, to, to fulfill the, our assignment, to do our deal. And for all of us, we need to remember he guides us into the truth. God has written the law on our hearts, but he's also given us the lawgiver to help us understand the law, love God, and love people. And again, don't hear that as heavy burden. Hear that as covenantal responsibility. It's what it looks like to be a son or a daughter of God. It means to love him and to love other people. And sometimes that's pretty murky what that means. 
And the Holy Spirit won't just guide you into the truth of the word He'll, and reminding you of what Jesus says. He'll also guide you into the truth of those situations, what that looks like lived out. This is how I want us to close. If, you'll, if you'd be willing to close your eyes, please do. I want you to think about a couple of things, kind of two big buckets. One, I have this relationship, I have this situation, and I don't know what it looks like to love God and love people. Maybe like kind of using that phrase, I've forgotten. I don't, I don't know what it looks like for me to live out loving God and loving people in this situation. There were several that I thought of. I think they're from the Lord. Some of you who have kids, they're growing and they're beyond, you're recognizing they're now beyond your ability to control. You can't make them anymore. And there's a part of you that's scared and there's a part of you that's frustrated. Like in your mind, you're gripping your kids. You're doing it because you want what's best for them. But that's what you're doing right now. That's not loving them. I want you to open your hands up and trust the Lord. And you begin to ask this question, Holy Spirit, I don't know what it looks like to love my kid when they make boneheaded decisions. I can see where this road is going and it's not good. Show me what it looks like to love them. And he will. I was thinking of some husbands. You have a, you're married and in your mind, your wife is being um, unresponsive to you in some way. There's some change you're wanting to see and you're not seeing it. This is what I think the Lord would say to you. You need to ask the Holy Spirit, what does it look like for me to love my wife in the midst of this? And I think what he would say, and you need to figure out what this looks like, is don't worry about her changing. Right now, your responsibility is to love her the way I love you. So that's the question you need to be asking. What does it look like for me to love her, even if she's being unresponsive, stubborn, even um, hostile towards you? What does it look like for me to love her the way you love me? It'll change the dynamics in your marriage. You may have a different situation or different relationship. You're just not sure what it looks like. The Holy Spirit who lives within you, he'll guide you into the truth of how to apply that law of love. And there are others of you, and you actually know what it looks like to love. You just, either you don't want to or you don't think you can. Again, one of the great things about relationship with God is he doesn't just he doesn't just say hey this is what you're supposed to do he then enables us to do it that whole again the, it's not just the law that's been written on your heart it's the lawgiver who lives within you now, I was thinking particularly there's some of you uh, you know there's someone you need to forgive but you're not either because you don't want to or because you just don't think you can and what you need to be asking today is for the Holy Spirit to give you grace, to empower you, to forgive. He can't forgive for you, but if you're willing, He can enable you to do it. So Holy Spirit, we open ourselves up. I'd encourage you to do that. Would you show us in all of these situations in our life that maybe you're a bit murky and a bit gray, what does it look like for us to love you and love other people? Would you remind us of the truth 
of Jesus, the words that he's taught us. And would you guide us more deeply into the truth? And for those of us who know what the truth is, we're just, we're not sure we can pull the trigger on it. Would you give us grace, strength, courage, faith to do that in Jesus' name? Amen. We're going to close with worship. We'd invite you to stand. If one of those things hit you, if you're one of those people that I was kind of talking to, we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Maybe something else that was stirring your heart. We'd love for you to come. You can kneel or you can stand here at the front. and Someone from our staff will come around and say a brief prayer for you that the Holy Spirit would guide you more deeply into the truth and empower you uh, to live that truth out. Y'all stand and Bo will dismiss us uh, in a couple of minutes.